What's up? It is 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News, where we explain marijuana laws so you can change them. Today, we are joined by Jax Finkel from Texas Normal and Eric Espinoza from Dallas-Fort Worth Normal. We're going to be talking about uh, Texas cannabis law. So let's just get right into it. Hey, Jax and Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Mickey and Tom. Uh, yo. Thank you for having us. <laughs> on, yeah. There we go. There you go. Yeah. Hey, guys. <laughs> Yeah. Here we all are in this virtual room. Hi. <laughs> yeah, it's a roomy in here. Well, you know, uh, we're thrilled to be able to have you guys on because actually, despite Texas not really having a very good cannabis law yet, uh, they're about like 7% of our subscribers. So there's like over a thousand subscribers that we have from Texas. We figured this would be a great opportunity for you guys to break down what the current status of the Texas laws are, uh, what's on the agenda. I mean, seriously, do you guys even have smokable hemp? Yes. Right now we do, but there's a lawsuit about it. So we'll see what happens. It's been scheduled uh, to be addressed in March. And um, until that point in time, smokable uh, hemp is available. So you can have the smokable flower that's loose, but the debate is actually about the pre-rolled or the manufactured hemp and also those vape cartridges. So that is what the lawsuit's going to be addressing. But until that happens, we have it, and hopefully the judge will uphold um, the position of having access instead of restriction. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So yes, we have him. <laughs> so, yeah. That's the only thing you guys do have, right? That's the present status of Texas is hemp's the only thing available for you guys. Well, so... Technically, no. There is a medical program here in Texas, but it does have low THC cannabis, so it's 0.5% is available. So it's just a tiny bit more than hemp um, that you can get over the counter, but you are able to enroll in a program. You are able to make sure that it's that high medical grade level product that you need. The people that have been making the products have started to get creative about how they make them so that they can have higher THC to CBD ratios. Um, so that's been beneficial, but it is still really restrictive on how many conditions can have access. So that's what we really have to focus on this session is removing that THC cap and making sure that it's more broadly accessible to patients. How many uh, patients are currently in Texas and how many um, conditions are qualifying? So enrolled in the program last I heard was about 3,000 patients, which is really low for a state yeah. of our size. How a many lot people, of 30 million people in Texas? How many people? Yeah, Texas? that's about right. 28 million people are in Dude. Texas. And how many patients? 3,000. Yeah. yeah. Staggering. So are they actually, all legal? I mean, I'm sorry. But <laughs> Vicente Satterberg actually put out a white paper on how to improve medical cannabis in Texas and kind of broke into like breaking all that down. So that's really important. But there's only about 300 doctors that are able to prescribe across our whole state. You know how big Texas is. Yeah. Well, we've got 254 counties. So that's like barely a doctor per county. Wow. Um, so it's very hard to get a hold of. However, um, a lot of these doctors are compassionate and they're participating in the program, even though there's prescription language versus, you know, the recommendation language. And they are trying to figure out ways to make sure that their patients can be included. So you asked about conditions, you know, it's muscle spasticity, neurodegenerative disorders, incurable neurodegenerative disorders, which was a new thing that they made up. So they had to define it. And that's oh, wow. several hundred different conditions that, or maybe 150 conditions that are included in that. And then terminal cancer, 
um, uh, I think I said specificity, right, Eric? Yeah, and then there's um, one or two other ones like ALS, Parkinson's, those types of conditions. So it's still pretty restrictive. So no PTSD, no chronic pain. Um, so those are some big focuses this session. Do you guys have a bill? Yeah, there's a lot of bills. There are currently about 25 bills that have been filed. Um, last session, we saw 63 bills be filed. Yeah. So I do anticipate, wow. um, I know of at least three to four more that will be filed. So we will have a lot of options. It's all about which one has the best author, the best co-authors, who is really working their bill the most and able to get it through the process. Mm. Um, so we haven't yet picked our priority legislation because there is still a lot of bills that are probably going to be filed and committees are just now being put together. So once we know more about committee makeup, it'll be able to help us better know what has the best chance. Right on. Uh, Eric, because you're an actual patient um, with a serious condition, cerebral palsy, uh, is that on the list? Cerebral palsy specifically is not on the list. However, it would be covered under spasticity, possibly. It could be covered under chronic pain. Um, there's a couple of other conditions that it would be qualified under still, uh, but now they haven't addressed my condition specifically. Just the symptoms that, you know, pretty much make it up, yeah. which, you know, that in itself was a step in the right direction. You know, mm. when, when the bill first passed, even though I knew that that wasn't necessarily going to help me, I, you know, I still advocate for something like that because it's going to help somebody. Then we get the opportunity to expand that into several other, you know, ailments and conditions. And that's, you know, really the goal, I think, for uh, any patient in Texas yeah. that's advocating for cannabis is, you know, they might not be included, but somebody else, their, their partner might be or their brother or their sister or whoever so else. So, I mean, that, I think that's how we feel here in Texas. Patients just want to see, you know, they want to be included. They want this to be an inclusive program and inclusive on, on a very different levels too. Not only just with conditions, but in price and availability and quality and delivery method. You know, we kind of want to see the gamuts available here in Texas uh, like it is in some of the larger medical cannabis states. Have you what, had an uh, what are some of the medical cannabis states that you guys are looking toward, uh, Eric and, and Jax, when uh, advising uh, legislature in your state? Uh, who are some of the examples that you guys are looking to? Ooh, well, I mean, there's definitely like, oh, well, look, Oklahoma has some really great medical freedom where doctors decide and on, you know, how patients can dose and who is going to be able to access it. Uh, but really, it's kind of like a, a pick and choose from different places because you learn different lessons from different states, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I think you know, making sure that eventually we have a good research component in this because we want to make sure, I mean, we've got MD Anderson down in Houston. We've got these amazing world-renowned research facilities that we want to make sure that they're testing what patients are actually consuming. Um, and, you know, Eric was talking about uptake method. Up until recently, we only had oil in Texas. And that was... Um, not specifically like restricted, but it was what they were advocating for was just for oil. And so now there's some lozenges you can get, some topicals you can get. So like things are starting to diversify, but we really have to make the program more inclusive to make it where it's 
profitable. I hate to say that, but if you are making uh, a business out of making medicine, you have to at least break even. And a lot of these companies are um, not probably doing that. And they're trying to also have foundations that help get money in to help subsidize the, uh, the medicine costs for patients. So um, it's, it's complicated. We did not start off with the best program, we started off with one of the most restrictive programs in the country, and so we're just really having to pick that apart and make it better. It's a shame that you have to like cringe when you say the word profitable when it comes to cannabis because this shouldn't be an issue, right? We're not sad when Viagra is making money, right? No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I get it, but this is, um, I think one of the things about the cannabis movement is making sure that it's inclusive of people of all socioeconomic varieties. And so if we're not considering these things, then we have a big issue. You know, like uh, if you were charged with possession in Texas, you couldn't work in the Texas Compassionate Use Program. And so yeah. now there's a bill that would change that. And so that's super important to the people that have had these collateral consequences because I don't know if you guys know, but in Texas, flour is still technically illegal, although, although there's deprioritization programs. But if you come with one of your favorite vape pens from another state and it's got more than 0.3% THC, that is a first-degree state jail felony. Yeah, hard, hard yeah. business. Well, that's too bad because, like, from all the states, if you guys really want it for the patients, uh, patient home grow is important. That will crash the price. Yeah. That will make it accessible. That will make the quality there. And uh, even in Illinois, uh, we had to wait through medical uh, to really have access to adequate supply of medicine and into adult use when they finally allowed uh, medical home grow. But uh, do you think that medical home grow has a shot in heck in Texas? You know, there is um, a bill that a senator has authored that does include home grow, and it's also included in one of the retail bills that's been authored. And it's it's really a great thing for patients, but unfortunately it's what we've seen cut the last two sessions first. And it's because our state has treated it like plutonium, not like a plant. And so it's been um, very sad for a lot of patients. Um, because as you know, people leave Texas and become medical refugees to go get access. Mm -hmm. But then there's other patients that are forced to move here for X, Y, Z reason, and then they lose access, right? And right. so it's just it's really sad to see that. Yeah, because I'm not gonna, I'm not Joe Roganing this show and moving to Texas. I got plants <laughs> over there, man. You know, I'm, I'm growing some plants. Joe, and, let's do some things. <laughs> yeah, but then like, um, and so. I, I just hope that you guys can actually get that. And it's too bad. Why do you think, uh, well, first off, who's running Texas and what do they have against cannabis flowers? I mean, the, as far as like who's running Texas, uh, clearly it's some, not some of the right people because they're not, you know, they're not giving the people what they want. They're not giving cannabis patients what they want. They're not giving responsible adults the rights that they should deserve to have. And, you know, we we have a good medical program. Bones, there's bones there, there's room to grow, but we definitely, you know, should have been there sooner, um, especially with all the, the numbers that are growing of people that are getting involved, people that are getting active, people that are submitting their testimonies and, and things like that. And you just have to, it's just really hard to change the minds of folks that are still demonizing cannabis as uh, uh, like plutonium, as Jack said, you know, treating it like plutonium, not treating it like a plant. 
And it's just getting people to realize that it is a plant and it does have medical benefit. Maybe to some people that use it properly, maybe not for others. You know, it's for them and their doctor to decide. And But you really have to just come down to it and talk to these representatives and, and folks as they want to see it, you know, make it a financial issue there. You know, this is how much money we're leaving on the table for Texas education. This is how much money we're leaving on the table for these other things that we could be getting, just like all these other states that are raking in on the yeah. cannabis industry. I mean, it's yeah, crazy. Illinois posted a billion bucks in its first year. Yeah, oh my, a billion. Yeah. That is right. an insane amount. Well, and I think that was a hybridization of both forms, so medical and adult use. And so, like, I I did an adult use thing where I bought it, and I, it was a $20 gram, and by the time you were done with that gram, it was actually $25 because of all the taxes for the adult use. But then mm-hmm. if I would have gotten and used my medical card for that, it would have been a, a $20 gram. Um, nice. But, you know, do you guys have dispensaries? So you can get hemp flower in many different locations. Uh, as far as medical cannabis, there are two main dispensing locations, but since the pandemic, they have been allowing delivery and satellite pickup. Um, so I'm hopeful to see that continue. Uh, but I did just want to touch on your saying, you know, like. Man down, man down. Well, she was probably about to start talking against the establishment. Whenever you try to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, know. If I'm back, uh, kind of back. Sometimes, if oh. we if we kind of unplug you and plug you back in, it works. Uh, and then sometimes, if you just start talking, and it might work. Okay, so I don't know if you guys can hear me, yes. but I was going to talk about the man. I was going to say uh, <laughs> that the Department of Public Safety, which is our you know state sheriffs, are who are in control of our medical program in Texas. State sheriff. Whoa. Yeah, that was so the sheriff's life. bastions of health in Texas, right? Never have a heart attack. Oh my no problem God. with alcoholism. You know, the sheriffs, these guys are like Dr. Fauci of Texas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? So unfortunately Whoa. that's what we are dealing with. And it's not the Department of State Health Services, <laughs> you know, which is where a lot of people think it should be. So do you think like the, your your emphasis should be then now I'm like educating cops on like the endocannabinoid system? Like what what who do you get well, through over there? It really is a very big urban rural kind of divide here in a lot of the uh, urban areas like Houston, San Antonio, Dallas, Austin, we've all got diversion programs. The cops and the DAs are like, we ain't got time for this. But in rural areas, people are still willing to pay for those tests to try to prove that it isn't hemp and all of that. So um, it is it is frustrating and there is a lot of education. I work with a foundation that focuses on rural education. And so we go and we do traveling workshops around the state and we try to educate people in smaller towns about hemp and cannabis and medical cannabis and the side effects of criminalization. And I will say that hemp did a lot of work for us here in Texas, decriminalizing it, or I mean, not decriminalizing it, destigmatizing it because now a lot of rural farmers are growing. So it's been really a, a nice change. Have you guys noticed an influence from Oklahoma uh, from its legalization process? Because, like, when I was there with Seattle Hemp Fest for the first, like, Oklahoma Hemp Fest, uh, people were coming up from Texas to learn about the upcoming market and what we were doing in Washington because it reflects the early days, the same uh, type of uh, 
civil liberty type thing where people were like, okay, I got a license. That's all I need. Like, you know, it was a very low bar. Everybody had a chance. And are you guys seeing that influence as far as the education? And because uh, CBD stores were everywhere in Oklahoma too at that time, like, like 7-Elevens. Like I never saw so many CBD stores like Starbucks. I was like, wow. And, Every and, little town. Yeah. And pot leaves were everywhere, <laughs> but it was just CBD. So, but that, like you said, helped destigmatize the situation. And, and so now we're like to the next level. Hey, we're now going weed, full full entourage effect, which you know people are like it hasn't collapsed yet. I'm Where plutonium? <laughs> I just think <laughs> Texas is still America, right? I'm just checking. Well, I mean, that's oh, my point. Is I, I always try to say, like, do we believe in medical freedom or not? Do we really truly believe that people are able to go and with their doctors and with their medical advisors decide what they should do to treat their body for whatever ailment that they might have? Do we believe that or not? And do we also already trust the me mechanisms that are in effect uh, to take care of monitoring doctors, monitoring pharmacists, monitoring all of these things? Do we trust them already? Well, we trust them with opioids. We're trusting them with all of this. So if we can't trust them with the plant, uh, we, I think we maybe we have some bigger systemic problems than, um, than cannabis that we need to be looking at. So it, it is one of the ways to talk about it. There's a lot of ways to talk about it. But really the most movement that we see is whenever someone has a personal story close to one of those legislators and they share it with them. And that is usually where we have seen hearts and minds change the fastest. Um, otherwise, it, it is a little bit harder for especially some of the um, more conservative legislators. Sure. That's fascinating. Now, with that point, so it is 0.5% THC. We're really basically talking about medical industrial hemp, right? I mean, if it's, if the to total. Yeah. To, to a large extent. All right. And then, they are growing like more full spectrum plants and they are doing. So you have to keep in mind when you're talking about a percentage, you're not talking about a weight. Right. So a weight is typically a better way. Milligrams, mm -hmm. you know, to do dosing, not percentages. And so they have been able to get creative with their formulations where they can do a one to one or a two to one or a 20 to one. But it means that there's a lot more substrate. Right. And so whenever we were doing oils only, people were having to take a lot of it and that was causing indigestion problems, bowel problems. So you have to dilute the stuff. Right, exactly. Well, and so what they've done instead is now they're doing lozenges. And so they've been able to be a little bit more effective that way. Okay. So they and, are doing blends of the, the two cannabinoids. Because the other thing that we had on with, uh, with Dr. Russo last week, it's a great episode, he explained that the uh, anandamide and the endocannabinoid systems and the CB1 receptors that THC activate are quite important. And so it's, why is it 99.5% that you're not allowing this particular chemical that's quite important to our endocannabinoid system? That's where a lot of the benefit comes from. So why is or why are Texas legislatures against like that's that's how the medicine works. I mean, like that's literally how this works. Why are they denying science? THC that, is pretty stigmatized. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy once you learn about the ECS and then you understand how all of that works, you know, as you're in your cannabis education, because everybody does that individually. You know, we all go through our learning about cannabis and how it affects us and those around us. And you see all this factual information. And then you look at these the arbitrary laws that discount science. And you, you, you know, you want to make sure that everybody understands that this is an actual 
system in your body and it does exist in every single organ something that happened right. when you got high yeah. and you're like whoa man no. this thing? i feel it in my body no it's yeah. actually right. yeah. <laughs> and you know it's it's difficult to to not get frustrated when you're explaining science when you're explaining you know these things and it's just not enough to make things happen and it, it's i don't understand it with all that science is supposed to do and science is supposed to help further our our communities and our nation, but yet you want to ignore science based on stigma that shouldn't really exist anymore it's now that we know governor. what we do about cannabis. It, it, well, and so Eric, it's, it's governor, only... a lieutenant governor named Dan Patrick. Yeah, Brennan's right. Um, our lieutenant governor last time around was like, no, nothing is getting through. Screw all of that. And we were able to get two bills through. This time yeah. he said he's open to making some medical changes. So we've made a little progress there. But no, he is a big a big issue, a big person that we have to move um, into our court. But to speak to what Eric said, whenever we're talking about people who are making these laws, they're not doctors. They're not medical yeah. professionals. In the whole 181 legislators up at the Texas Capitol, there's like six or seven medical professionals. And I'm talking, these are like osteopaths, optometrists, mm -hmm veterinarians like people then these are the only people that really are going to understand some of that scientific and medical language and so that's why it's should be more in the hands of the doctors who know what they're doing and what's going on and oh, then just please. one more thing i wanted to say is that the a really good thing about our program is it gives you a, a kind of a protection from child protective services. Okay. So if you are taking cannabis, if your child is taking cannabis, now you can you have a reason, you have a permission slip from the state yeah. um, so that they can't bother you. Um, and so that is important. Yeah, that's I think we see oh, yeah, well, uh, I, I think we're seeing that in a lot of our bills right now. Most of the bills that have been introduced include family protections. You know, that's something that we're seeing all across the board which I think that's, you know, those are a few paramount things that have to happen. You know, remove the cap, parent, family protections, parent protections, you know, uh, even when it comes to making sure that they can't, you wouldn't be able to use that against you if you were divorced. Right. It's like all of those things, those are very important that we're seeing in, in most of these bills that are coming through. Yeah, because we have had so many uh, people on, from, and we've heard so many stories all over the country. That is something that is people weaponize. Uh, not only their ch kids, but then also if they're divorcing and then they, they're unhappy because of that or for whatever reason, and they, they are bickering with one another very intensely. They try to use anything they can against the other person in order to gain leverage over their kids. It's terrible. It's shocking, but it happens. And then you see that, man, I can't believe that. Uh, I mean, we're really fortunate in Illinois where they aren't allowed to do that. But that was a thing here, too, like years ago. But still, it was a thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's happening to to everyone in Texas who consumes cannabis. They're they're all being having being weaponized against them because you can lose your job at any moment if you test positive for cannabis. You lose your license. You can lose all of your freedom, basically. What if you know a guy I mean? like me goes down to Texas to hang out, and I work, and so like you know tomorrow I'm going to go to Detroit to like you know, help some clients because there's going to be a, a license window opening this spring. Uh, what if I go down to Texas and start taking phone calls? Am I going to get arrested? You know? 
Start taking what? I, I phone calls. You'd be like, oh, you, you need how much money? How much of the license? Where is <laughs> You know, like, oh. work, you know, uh, like, oh, oh, you need an IP agreement because we're trying to set up. A, oh, OK. So you have an MSO thing going. All right. Well, let me let me get you that, you know, and and helping uh, cannabis companies facilitate their operations. Um, I don't know. Just, well, we only have two licensees here. Well, technically, there's three, but only mm -hmm. two are really functional. Um, and so that's a really sad thing, I think, um, not because I think that they're doing anything wrong or anything like that, but I think that having options um, in medication, maybe even some competitive pricing that way. Um, but they, originally they were saying that they would have 12 licenses, um, but they ended up going with the statutory minimum, which was three. And yep. then, uh, didn't they open that back up at one point and then a bunch of people applied and then they're just like, no, we're not going to do that. Yep. They opened it up and then they pulled it on the Tuesday at 5 p.m. Like, oh, our bad, our bad. No, no, yeah. we didn't. We didn't mean yeah. to do that. Yeah, don't, no don't do that again. No that's and so, like, what you want to do is you want to say, hey, uh, local, like, you know, the, the state, you do like Michigan and California. They just register you. You know, it's just like fill out this form, fill out that form, fill out this form. And then it's on the municipality. And so the municipality is the one that, you know, really is the stickler. So then the municipality would be the one that's got to deal with all that shit, you see, because you're making these cannabis applications so effing complex that they might be hundreds of pages long and not one guy wants to deal with that. So like with Illinois, where we had 900 teams give a 900 page weight to KPMG and they chop it up to see how it's supposed to be scored, it fails miserably. Now, if it just would have been a qualification thing at the state level, and then you take that 900 pages down to your city, and that city gets like 30 applications as opposed to 900, right. then it's easier to sort through them. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. So, and that's the layers that they add to prohibition that makes it even harder to get to the point where I can just not worry about my backyard home grow one day. Yep. <laughs> just so much Absolutely. you know like you guys in, in texas i think texas faces not just the 100 year anti because you guys are the first place to yep. create uh, uh, uh laws against uh, uh possession in El Paso. so El Paso. what year was that i think it was either 2000 i'm sorry 1913 or 1915 i can't remember which it was a it was the first local law against personal possession of marijuana and i said that way because we spell it with an h yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's but, great. So I mean, you guys have this systemic embedded just hate for the plant, and and and, and because of the Mexicans, right? Because like my great grandmother used to get this stuff and, and use it in in, in uh, rubbing alcohol for her her joints, and, and so like it's always uh -huh. been a treatment, right? We've always known this is a, a thing about wellness. It's a plant. Uh, uh, so besides the, the over 100 years of anti-prohibition you got over there, you guys got a lot. Because like you were saying earlier, Jax, the rural versus city. I broke down in Justin one time, Justin, Texas. And the person that helped me belonged to a cult, right? Like the guy was a faith healer. Right? And I was scared shitless all night. Like, I don't want to wake up e eating some Kool-Aid or whatever. I mean, it was in the middle of nowhere. And Did he have rattlesnakes with him? Was he that oh, type of faith healer? I got a DVD. Apparently, his wife and kid died in an accident. He got powers or some shit afterwards. It was pretty awesome. Like I was scared shitless, but mm. it was like kind of so surreal just knowing that people like this exist and in Texas, in the rural parts. And that's what you're going against. You're going against like, well, look, God made it. And then that's going to be your other argument with him. God made it. Why is it bad? Yeah. And then that'll be like, okay, you win. 
Well, I mean, to your point, El Paso, when they did it, it was because of Mexo-American migrants coming across the border that they were trying to prevent from coming and taking their jobs, you know? And that's why marijuana, they couldn't spell it. They spelled it with an H, marijuana, right? And Mm. then even to this day, if you look at the most recent ACLU report in Texas, if you are um, black, you are three times more likely to get arrested than your white counterparts. And I want to make sure everybody's clear that when they say white, that includes Latinos and Hispanics in Texas. So it's not included. It's not in its own separate breakout. That's actually uh, if you are black, you're three times more likely to get arrested than whites and all, you know, Latinos as well. So that's a pretty wild number. Mm-hmm. It's like he's still in nineteen thirties. What it's like sometimes, and it's like not this flat. But you know, <laughs> well, I was going to say like you know all these things arose like the El Paso ban. I realize complete racism and all that, and trying just to exploit these people. But since nineteen ninety two, and then like okay, fine, anandamides discovered, the endocannabinoid systems discovered. It's like holy crap, this is why it works. That's fine five years, 10 years, that was 28, 29 years ago now that we've known about the endocannabinoid system. I think we can at least as adults be like, okay, well, this law was predicated completely on lies before we understood how it even worked and we can really stop. Nope. And, and, and you know, know okay, Eric. Uh, I think the amazing thing about it too is that the endocannabinoid system and that cannabis education is going into so many different industries that not I didn't even think about, you know, that industry doing it. So, for example, there's a like a sleep apnea company that does education for its dental or its hygienists and its techs and all that, right? So they had a guy come in and do a whole presentation on the ECS and how it could benefit them to, uh, you know, have their product. Of course, it was a product demo, right? But to have their product in their shops and this is why their product was the best and all this and all that. But, you know, aside from that, we're talking about, you know, sleep apnea, dentistry and things like that that are also now getting education on the ACS as well. So I think, you know, as long as it just keeps seeping into other industries, that's going to help destigmatize and normalize. And talking about science, I mean, if our doctors aren't really learning about the endocannabinoid system in their classes and in their degrees until these last few years, well, I mean, then they're not going to know or understand it. Um, So they're actually Association of Cannabis Specialists did a Texas-based policy CME on the 9th of this month, and the CME is continuing medical education, and they broke down, you know, for the whole day, all the different parts of the ECS, how all of these different molecules, I mean, some of that was like, what? Because I'm not a doctor, right? And so these are the types of conversations that are super important in Texas. That's all of it for me, girl. Like, like every time Dr. Russo is speaking, I'm just like, huh? Yeah, he, he used the word <laughs> reaction, and I was like, "I'm gonna pretend like I know what that means." And I know these are words. I know this yeah. is English, but uh, yeah, no, understand. But that's important, right? Like, this is the medical shit. Like, we all have our own field and things that we do, right? Like, I, I work in electronics. Like, I couldn't tell you. I'm not gonna dissect the person, but I can take apart your TV. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. we all have our individual thing that we're supposed to do. And uh, you know, to uh, uh, Eric, I had a question though. Even though it'd be technically illegal since you're not a patient, um, did you have a chance to try the the medicine to see if it affects you or, or helps anything? Uh, the the medicine that they're offering now specifically, no. Um, but during the what two sessions ago, I went CBD only, 
so that I could see, you know, when when the act got passed into law and when I was able to apply for the compassionate use program, you mm. know, would CBD by itself be enough to treat my cerebral palsy? And, you know, I tried that during the whole entire session leading up to all of that. And I, you know, it just, for me, it, it does not. See, CBD by itself does not treat all of my condition and all of my symptoms. And to be perfectly honest, THC by itself does not either. And, and it's a combination of all of the available cannabinoids. And when I say available cannabinoids, I'm talking about CBG, CBN, like all of these other things that were that people are now segregating the more that they try to like stamp down on THC. So I think the newest one that I've seen is uh, Delta-8, which is a different cannabinoid that they're using that's totally legal or, you know, in that gray area or whatnot that they're throwing around here, just like the CBG strains and things like that. So it's just trying to navigate yourself around the high quality things that some companies are offering in Texas and the not so high quality things that they're offering. And then that comes with a separate kind of education. You know, you need to be looking for clinical analysis reports. Mm. You need to be looking at like all these other aspects and not just taking CBD or other cannabis products because you can buy them over the counter. Like really? be a smart consumer of these products and kind of know what you're putting into your body because, you know, you can put various kinds of CBDs into your body, qualities, I mean, but, you know, if they're not going to all be as beneficial if they're lower quality and there's other stuff mixed in or other adulterants that don't belong there. Like we saw with, you know, the vape cartridges and things like that, where there are additives in there that were causing serious conditions with people, you yeah. know, when it didn't necessarily have anything to do with vaping itself, just additives, there were, had no business in there. And that's when you come into like quality control and things like that, which we don't have on the CBD market here. There's not mm. like a whole t quality control when it comes to stuff that are over the counter. When you're getting it from the couple of licensed places that we do have here that offer the CBD, then yes, you're getting really high quality stuff. You're getting, you know, some of the best quality that you can probably get outside of other legal areas. Mm. And, you know, all, additionally, what, what I'm seeing is people going over to Oklahoma and taking opportunity in their program to buy a temporary card, you know, and be able to and treat themselves that way. So I think just like Colorado and other places that get medical tourism or that's yeah. going to happen yeah. until our program is expanded enough to actually be able to ensure quality and, you know, good price for patients and any, any adult use too, I would hope at some is, point. Is there a legacy uh, cannabis scene in Texas, or I guess it'd be a, a legacy marijuana scene in Texas. I'm not sure what they call it over there right now. Uh, is there a cannabis culture in the state? A lot of the oh, yeah. comments, yeah, Absolutely. a lot of the comments yeah. in the thread, it's just been like, man, Texas loves weed. I'm like, we well, do. Like yeah. we do. So as much as anyone else does, bag, we do. You just, the bag's going to be illegal and you don't know what's in it necessarily, right? Yeah. Well, let me kind of break it break it down for you a little bit. So in Texas, we don't have ballot initiative 
like a lot of states do, we have to rely on our elective state representative and elective state senator to change our laws at the state level. So our legislature rang in, the first day of it was January 12th. It goes for 140 days until the end of May. And that every two years is our opportunity to change the law. So we don't have ballot initiative. We can't collect signatures to get something on the ballot. The only way, <laughs> the only way we can get stuff on the ballot here in Texas is if a legislator authors something that's called a joint resolution, and what that does is it changes our constitution, and then it has to go through a supermajority through both chambers, then it goes to the Secretary of State and is put on whichever um, election cycle it's supposed to be put on, and then you know all the ad campaigns from law enforcement, this, that, and the other, and then we can vote on it. If it passes, it goes back to the legislature for them to make the laws about it. It's, we're just so connected to the process. So basically, <laughs> it's good to be the king in Texas. If you're <laughs> in the elite or in the established, who rule? Is it, is it the Democrats or the Republicans that are mo Well, I'm assuming it's the Republicans. Republicans have control of both chambers and the governorship. It's good to be a Republican in Texas. And this is probably why you're not getting anything done right now, because they're all too busy um, having no gag reflex in the White House. And so hopefully uh, <laughs> come to a new administration, uh, something else. Because this is all about a wellness, holistic option, right? This is all about you as a Texan, as an American, being like, yo, I uh, have a bad back or whatever. I want to try this. And then have that option be like, all right, weed works for me or weed doesn't work for you. Well, and in all fairness, I do want to give our governor his due where it is. Last session, he negotiated a penalty reduction bill, a medical bill, and a hemp bill that were much more uh, robust than what was passed. The person who ended up changing it and removing PTSD, removing chronic pain, was the lieutenant governor. And so he's come along the way a little bit here, but we have more work to do. Our governor actually, um, a lot of people vilify him for it and, you know, do what you're going to do. But he did change his mind. He did work with Moody. He did work with Lucio to make those bills something he thought he could see. And those were things that we were happy with. They were better than, you know, what we ended up with. And so sadly, um, we didn't get what the governor had negotiated. Wow. And I think that's one of the... That's one of the greatest things that I've been witness to. You know, when you're at the Capitol and you're going through these testimonies and you're sitting there waiting for votes to happen and you're you're doing the work and you're seeing bipartisan support on these things, but then you actually get to see it change in mm. some way. Even if it's a small way, even if it's a limited program, you're you're getting to see your action and the action of others in the community actually change things for the better. And that's, you know, it can be empowering, but at the same time can be very frustrating. You just have to decide at some point, you know, is a little bit of frustration now worth it for, you know, future generations of Texans to come. And I totally think that it is, um, you know, like we say, freedom in our lifetime. I'd, I'd definitely like to see medical freedom in my lifetime in my home state. That would be fantastic. I hope you guys see it not in your lifetime, but like in the next foreseeable years. I, I mean, a concerted letter writing campaign to the lieutenant governor. Why are you suppressing science? You know, why are you standing in the way of this? I mean, like, it, are you cannabis deficient? I'm sure that we could talk to Dr. Russo. He can give us a, like a 12 question checklist quiz. And we can just <laughs> send leaflets all over Texas test to see if the cannabis is deficient. You know, oh um, because it was just fascinating to have them break down all the information 
uh, about how your endocannabinoid system works, but then also he got into the terpenoids and their relations to the cannabinoids that are in there as well, and and the precursors that go and they create all these wonderful flavor profiles and cannabinoid profiles. Um, these are these are really special, like cool things that nature did that are nerdy and scientific. If you're running the effing state of Texas, I would hope that you have some command over science and 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 uh how life works right. i would hope you know <laughs> hope to dream well right. and as americans especially in texas we have very soft egos you should point out the fact that thailand's more advanced than texas right now <laughs> legalized medical all aboard and there's a hospital serving medical food and and, and there's a reuters uh video uh that i watched earlier today where they're talking about how cannabis coincides with the the other treatments they're doing and it helps them with the stir their appetites and all the other things versus like in america we're still like yo you gotta let us know if you consume pot because we don't want to put you under youth you know, anesthesia for certain it makes no sense right just because yeah. i'm a cannabis consumer i mean sure some things might but the body has an endocannabinoid system i'm not, i'll still reject the synthetic shit no matter what some people just right. you know it should be an option well, and, and we actually had a really great pharmacist come and do a couple courses with us to kind of um, let people know some of the things that can counteract with CBD or THC. You might be taking one medicine that works a certain way in your liver, and if you eat this, then it might inhibit your other medicines. So you actually might need to change your dosing on it, or it can make your opioids more effective. So while you still may have to use some opioids, it's going to be drastically reduced, right? And so having people with that scientific knowledge talking about it, I mean, the way that she just like breaks it down and explains it, it was very satisfying to me. And I like that the way that she kind of talks about, you know, some things you can't take it and eat grapefruit, you know, it's a similar type of thing or St. John's wort, you know, you just, yeah. you have to know those certain little cases and you have to be thoughtful about it. And if people don't know, you know, they could be maybe hurting themselves without knowing. And so that's why it's really important that we bring everything kind of like in into the market where people can openly talk about it because a lot of patients yeah. don't even know how to enroll in the program. Like we had to create a tutorial to teach them how to enroll in the program. Um, and so just education is so important on like a million different levels. Yeah. But the fact how that likely is it that the administrative uh, uh, body would change in Texas? Uh, you said both houses of the legislature are Republican. Will we ever have a Democratic governor in the state of Texas that may have a cannabis liberalization policy on the agenda? Well, I mean, people look at Ann Richards. She was a Democratic governor here in Texas. Mm. We definitely have had Democratic rule before, although it has been 30 years since that's happened. Um, there was wow. a lot of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of conversation about flipping the house blue this year, yeah. um, but in reality, uh, one one race flipped one way and the other race flipped the other way, and so they ended up having the exact same number in the house. Um, so I think redistricting is going to be addressed this session, and redistricting is how they map the different locations and districts that they have, and they use census data to do that, but it's not going to be here until this summer, so it may be a special session. Honestly, guys, I'm happy it's getting pushed to the summer because I would rather that divisive conversation not be happening at the same time I'm trying to get bipartisan support for marijuana law. Mm, right. Absolutely. Yeah. That is something that uh, Oklahoma, 
Mississippi and also South Dakota showed us this is not a Republican issue. You know, this you guys don't have a beef with this. You want it just as much as we do. And I bet if you looked at usage rates between Democrats and Republicans, they probably use weed at about the same amounts. That's probably why it's a bipartisan issue. But uh, unfortunately, with that Safe Banking Act in the federal uh, how well, when that was voted on in Congress, it was like 95 percent either way. I mean, it was complete bipartisan or like, you know, partisan vote, not bipartisan yeah. at all. And, and it's ridiculous why that even had to be uh, this morning, getting ready to talk to you guys, just knowing your guys' state, uh, where condition it is. Uh, I just want to let you know, like, not to be bragging or nothing, but like this morning I woke up, I had no weed. Uh, I was like, all right, I'm on my way to work. I'll stop at the uh, pot shop. I grabbed one infused pre-roll, smoked it on my way here so I can do some stuff. And let me just tell you something. I went fancy. I bought this infused flavored one that has, is a creme brulee. Right, oh, like I used to, oh my god, yeah, yeah right. six bucks creme brulee, and it no shit tasted like creme brulee. Like the terpene mixture in this thing was amazing, and it hit six me. The bucks? Good, yeah, six bucks, and, and that's the thing. It's like recreational. That, that's recreational, and, and like uh, I got a good fix. Whatever, um, hit hard. Uh, didn't even finish it all, uh, and as an asthmatic, so like sometimes I could tell paper. It, it burns a little rough in me. Like Dr. Russo says, you know, combustible is not the best way. Like we talked about earlier, Eric, not everybody needs to be smoking for medicine. You know, it's a perception thing, but like it's recreational. I'm on my way to a day and no one died. No one died. Well, and there's also a lot of um, science that's coming out now that's showing that cannabis smoke is distinct from nicotine smoke. You are not going to have the same effect. So it's not, you can't really compare the two like that. There was even, I think, some study that showed that if you, uh, so it compared smoking tobacco versus smoking cannabis versus not smoking at all. And the people who smoked cannabis had the lowest rates of cancer. So lower than the non-smoker. Yeah, I tell you, that's that's one of those things that I like to remind people when they make that conflation uh, in the argument. They're like, but it's still smoking. It's going to be bad. It's got to be carcinogenous. I'm like, apples aren't oranges, right? Or <laughs> apples aren't oranges. So you're talking about tobacco and you're talking about cannabis and you're ignoring that fact and just going straight to the smoke, you know? And really what they're showing, the, the I mean, real long-term side effect is really just kind of like a, a cough that you have a lot. And it's a productive cough because the alveoli in your, or did I say that right, that are in your lung are expressing any mucus or any things that are in there. And so it's being productive, right? Um, so. True. Your lungs but in this day out. and age of 2021, you could buy an herbal vaporizer. You could, you could not smoke if you don't want to. Yeah, they're I just, cheap. Kind of like the smoke flavor sometimes. It's a different experience altogether. I feel. Yeah. You know, like going to, going to other uh, legal states or medical states, and being able to sample, like going out to Colorado, going to California, hitting Las Vegas, and being able to see like what those markets look like, and you know what kind of quality you're getting, what kind of delivery methods you're getting. It's just, you know, you go there you have the time of your life for 48 hours or however much. And then you come back here to not that. And, well, you know, there's going to be a, a festival season uh, coming up this year, provided that everybody gets their shots. And we have some pretty cool musical festivals in Illinois. Come to Illinois by week. <laughs> and that's going to be a great thing. Campus tourism one day. Yeah. <laughs> Eric and Jax, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Jax, where can we find and follow what you guys got going on at Texas Normal? 
Absolutely. You can go to texasnormal.org, and you'll be able to click on our 87th Ledge tab. That's where you'll find all of the bills and action alerts related to them. You can also shop some of our cool wear and uh, join our subscription list so that you get our updates because that's going to be really important. During the session, we put out updates anytime we need you to take action, and um, we'll keep you in the loop. Awesome. And Eric, where can we find and follow what you guys got going on at DFW Normal? Uh, you can find us at dfwnormal.org or on Facebook and Instagram, also at dfwnormal. Uh, we're actually going to start ramping up, you know, our events again now that some of the COVID restrictions have been kind of black. So we found some places that are big enough to be able to host us and be able to social distance safely and do all that. So we're looking forward to getting back in there and getting people involved for the session. Uh, thank you guys for having us having us on, and maybe we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you guys Absolutely. so much for joining us. Thank uh, you. And thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news. We will see you on Wednesday. Thanks.